two retired detectives that were in the thick of New York crime, fast and hectic. They got some stories and some jokes. Even an interview with the most popular folks. Off the cuff, off the cuff. One episode just ain't enough. Get a little laughter and an interview too. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. Sorry we had a little bit of glitch in the first one. That's when, you know, I'm playing, I'm juggling things. I'm doing too many things at once, and I actually made a mistake. I must admit I made a mistake, and it was all my fault. But here we are, live right now. I'm back from Florida. I was in Florida Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I came back late last night, and I know my co-host, Phil Grimaldi, uh, straight out of Brooklyn is going through uh, YouTube, with, YouTube withdrawal. You know, he's like, oh, my God. He's like, come on back. Come on. Oh, my God. to do an episode. So uh, here we are, Philly. Great to have you back, man. Thank you, Billy. And welcome back. I'm uh, so glad to be on the podcast again. I Like you said, I was kind of walking in circles the last day or two. What am I going to do with myself? But uh, yeah, it was wonderful. Was like, hey, you know, Phil's got nothing to do now. You can just stir the sauce so many times, you know. Yeah. I wish I had nothing to do. I was actually busy trying to keep myself busy while we were on our little uh, couple of day hiatus. But Bill, I don't know if if it's streaming on YouTube. I have the YouTube up, and it's still frozen from the uh, the banner. Now I don't know if on your end if you can see that it's streaming. I'm not uh, I, I, I can't. I can't tell uh, if it is. The folks are on the maybe phone. somebody could put it in the chat because I, no, I, I I think the folks on the phone should be seeing it this because they're in the chat. You guys seeing it on. Uh, YouTube. Give us some ones if you've seen it. Give us a one if you've seen it on YouTube, because that was the problem before. Yeah. Uh, I see that it's showing on both of them, so I think we're okay. Maybe it's uh, just my... Uh... Yeah, it is streaming on YouTube, so we're all right. Okay. Sorry, guys. We had some technical difficulties today. Anyway, what one of the cases, uh, Vicki Gallon gave us a one, Rita Schaefer, Finn Freak, Jen Groth. Thank you guys so much for... Uh, okay, we're good. I'm going to put those ones. We're good. Um we, you know, I almost didn't want to cover this case, but it's such a big case and it's such an important case. And that's the crowd surge at uh, the Travis Scott concert in Houston, where so far it left uh, eight people dead. And it's it's really a scary thing. I, uh, we all go to major events, whether it be a football game, a concert, uh, you know, a baseball game. And you always want to, uh, you sort of take for granted that security is going to be good enough to protect you protect your loved ones. We all have kids. I know Philly's got three daughters. I'm sure you must be terrified when they go to a concert these days. Absolutely. But it seemed if you watch this, and I'm going to play some of the video from it, it is downright scary. It is really scary because there were warnings before the concert started that many people who had not bought tickets just stormed the gates. And I'm going to show you some of that. But having said that, this is not unprecedented. This has happened in other concerts. Uh, I think it was in 1991 at CCNY in New York City. And actually the, the rapper P. Diddy, or used to be called Puff Daddy, 
he was the promoter behind that show and eight people or nine people were uh, crushed to death because they oversold the concert. And when people were going into this, there was a charity basketball game and then a rap concert. When people were going in, there was like an eight or 10 foot hallway and people that had bought tickets but weren't allowed in because it was oversold, they pushed their way in and the doors were locked and people in the front got crushed to death or something we call a strain asphyxia. When your chest cannot uh, expand, you will die. You'll go into cardiac arrest and you'll die. And I think that's pretty much what happened during this case. In, in 1979, The Who in Ohio, Cincinnati, Ohio, had a concert. And I, I believe 11 people were crushed to death. Same thing. People trying to force their way in were crushed up against the glass and they died of the same type of asphyxia. So it's extremely, extremely scary. And as I said, we count on the police, the private security to have things in hand. And in this case, they didn't. Comments, Philly? Well, uh, Billy, you you, uh, you referenced that 1991 uh, Puff Daddy concert, P. Diddy. Um, you know, anytime there's a large crowd, there's always a major concern for panic in the crowd. Now, not only you have people like we're going to show in the tape, uh, you know, jumping the gate and rushing in, that causes a panic. Uh, you could have simple things like, um, you know, we're, we're, we're living in a world of uh, post 9-11 with terrorism. Somebody says that there's a gun or a terrorist with, with uh, active shooters and stuff like that. So you could have these stampedes in many different situations. So obviously, obviously, security being present, uh, enough manpower is always of paramount uh uh, importance in these type of events. And uh, I mean, we got enough things to worry about when our kids go out to these events. Uh, this is just one more thing that is uh, very concerning. And I'm sure we'll get into the exact, you were talking about the asphyxia. I'd like to talk about that later on sure. uh, with the, uh, you know, the, the medical definitions, let's say, and, and what actually transpires when that happens. All right, let's put this on the screen. We're going to give this a listen. Uh Officials are still trying to piece together what happened at a Travis Scott concert that left eight people dead. For one thing, why did the concert continue after fans were screaming that someone had died? And if crowd control plans were in place, why did so many people get killed or injured? We begin with a moment-by-moment -moment timeline of the concert tragedy. The mayhem at Astroworld began hours before Travis Scott took the stage. 2 p.m., hundreds of fans stampede across a parking lot. They easily pushed down chain link fences and stormed into the venue. Hundreds more stormed through the VIP security gate. Even deputies on horseback couldn't bring the chaos under control. KTRK-TV reporter Micah Hatfield was there. Her crew shot the extraordinary footage. We cover violent situations all the time, but that felt like something that was a next level. Uh, for us. It was scary. I was shaking. I told my photographer, I have a feeling something bad is going to happen, but never could I have imagined that it would have been this. Houston Police Chief Troy Finner was also worried and says he met with the singer and conveyed concerns about the energy in the crowd. 9.06 p.m. Travis Scott starts his performance. His girlfriend Kylie Jenner, their three-year-old daughter Stormy, and Kendall Jenner watch from a VIP booth. The crowd includes other young children like this little type. 
trouble begins almost immediately. 9-11 p.m., thousands of fans rushed to get closer to the stage, crushing fans up front. There was panic as some fans try to escape over security barriers. Travis Scott, unaware of the impending doom, pumps up the crowd. I want to see some rages, man. Who want to rage, man? 9.30 p.m., medics in a golf cart try to make their way through the throng. CPR is being performed on one of the victims. Oh. 9.34 p.m., a hero emerges. Concert goer Sienna McCarty, a senior at Texas A&M, pleads with the cameraman to help her get the concert stopped. A young man joins her. Others in the crowd chant the same desperate message. 9.38 p.m., a mass casualty event is declared. Uh, folks are coming out of the crowd complaining of difficulty breathing, um, crushing type injuries. Seems like the crowd is compressing, I can tell. Intensive care nurse Madeline Eskins passed out in the crush, but the moment she recovered, she began helping others. You couldn't move, you couldn't turn your head, you couldn't lift your arms up. It was absolute. It was like hell. Four or five people in front of me were getting cardiac arrest. This was appalling. 9.42 p.m. Travis Scott stopped performing for a few moments as an injured fan is treated. We need somebody to help him. Somebody passed out right here. He watches as the unconscious fan is passed over people's heads before continuing to perform. Outside the venue, fleets of fire trucks and ambulances are on the scene, but the band plays on for 37 minutes. Travis Scott later posted this video expressing sorrow and concern. I'm honestly just devastated. And I could never imagine anything like this just happening. My fans really mean the world to me. Kylie Jenner, who is pregnant, posted, we weren't aware of any fatalities until the news came out after the show and in no world would have continued filming or performing. 10.15 p.m., the last song is sung, but it's too late. Eight are dead and 25 hospitalized. Crazy, right? Disgusting. I mean, 38 minutes it went on and they didn't stop the show. Where were the officials that were monitoring this show? I mean, there's so many things I want to say, but that's the first thing that jumps out at me. When they realized that they had a mass casualty event, they had ambulances on the, on the ready, the plug should have been pulled. And when those fans started jumping on the stage, that cameraman, he's got a headset. He should have radioed to somebody. He should have. I, I, I just don't get it. But uh, I guess we're going to go. Phil, you know, something I want to just comment on something you said because it's so apropos. There has to be like an emergency switch uh, where the director or the head of security can just pull the power. Because pulling the power on these guys would surely let them know something horrendous is happening and you have to stop performing. Because by continuing performing, the stuff was still going on. People were still pushing forward. People were still dying. And they seemed to be unaware on the stage that this was going on at the level that it was. You, you know what, Billy? I agree with you. But I don't know if shutting power off would have actually – that could have caused the problem too because then maybe the, the crowd would have got unruly. They should have had communication with him. Stop the show for a second. Ask him onto the side. Say, listen, we have an emergency situation. Tell the people we're going to stop the comment – concert for a few minutes to get the injured out. Everybody stand back, try and, uh, you know, make room for the, uh, for the ambulances or the golf carts or whatever it is. He should have coordinated. It was up to him. He was performing. Somebody should have got right to him. I'm sure. I am sure there had to be communication 
right to him with a headset or somebody close to him where they said, hey, we have an emergency. Suppose there was a fire. Suppose there was uh, shots fired. Something. The person that's on stage, obviously everybody in the crowd is focused on that person. So that would be the person that I would want to communicate with the crowd. And when we talk about the the uh, the crushing injuries, there, there's such a, a phenomenon that occurs where pushing from the back and then the people that are getting pushed start pushing back towards, you know, people in the front start pushing to the back and, and the people in the middle wind up, you know, they're not able to expand and contract their lungs and they have the uh, passing out, which leads to cardiac arrest and death. Well, you know, Phil, one of the things that I had thought of, and I, I look, I'm not a concert security expert and I'm sure there is security techniques they use that control crowds of this 50,000 people. I know that New Year's Eve, and I, this is just an idea, the NYPD gets a million people to Times Square. And one of the things they do, which to me makes a lot of sense, is they put people in pens, maybe, I don't know, 500, 1,000 person pens. And the, the pens are made by uh, either steel barriers that surround them. And once you leave, you cannot come back in. But the point is, it's it's there's not able someone from the back to push up and all the people in the front get crushed and asphyxiated. That's the, um, the the security of the pens, what that does. I could be wrong, but this- no, you're you making have a great point, Bill. You're making a great point. That that really is something that should be considered because the way what you just, just described, you have over a million people in Times Square and the pens, once they get to a certain point where people are comfortable, but yet they're fully packed, they close it off and then they have a, a space in between the next pen and then you, you fill the other pen. And there's also channels on both sides for emergency workers, police, EMS, fire, whoever, to be able to get in and out safely. So if there is an emergency, someone passes out in one of those pens, they can extricate them and then, you know, bring in a stretcher and take them away to, uh, for medical attention. You know, exactly. Cause there should be, uh, a, a, an alleyway going down the middle that EMS or an ambulance could get in to get people in and out quickly. If you look at this crowd, that doesn't seem to be, uh, happening there. Cause what we're looking at, uh, the picture is that, uh, the side of the stage out in front of the stage, there's no way an emergency uh, medical service or an ambulance or, or even security could get through that crowd. So, I mean, I, it looks like, and why was the Houston police chief, he was concerned before this happened. So why were some of his concerns not put into, well, it, it, it's hard to change things minutes before a concert, but this seems like a, um, a disaster waiting to happen, you know, and uh, look, rock and roll, rap, concerts, they're high energy. And, you know, people want to have a good time. They're jumping up and down. They're screaming. And that in itself, you know, gets people high energy, gets them excited. But this crowd seemed to be, you know, when I saw the, the video of the crowd rushing into that uh, and not paying, look at this, how close they are together. That's got to be dangerous when you just sell unlimited tickets and it's standing room only. Like, what is the space? What is the, you know, personal space that each person has? That's got to be dangerous as hell. 100%, Billy. And could you do me a favor? Just pick up, put back up the first picture if you could. I just want to make a comment about that because you brought up Times Square. Not that one, the one right before it. The, it was like an aerial shot. Before one, one more. I'm sorry, Bill. 
Oh, this one. Yeah, all right, go. that one. Now, if you look at that, now that looks like a very wide open area, obviously. Now, what you described for Times Square, obviously all the streets in and around the Times Square going a few blocks away from where the ball drops are closed off. There's only entrances into the sidewalks. You can actually access the sidewalks so that way people could get to their buildings or restaurants or stores or whatever. Now, they have it channeled off from a far distance. There's great security on New Year's Eve in Times Square. This looks like it was way too wide open. If they would have uh, enlisted those pens that you were describing, the steel barriers, it would have been much more been able to be, have been controlled with spaces in between. So that way, if someone does breach one, it doesn't go right into the other one. And you also need a lot of manpower. Now, that's one point I wanted to make. The other point is you had the people rushing the gates, the security gates, where the metal detectors are at two o'clock in the afternoon. This not concert didn't take place until nine o'clock in the evening or somewhere thereabouts. So you had all those hours, that's seven hours. I mean, if someone gets through a security gate in an airport, what do they do? They close it down and they throw everybody out and they rescreen everyone. Now, I don't know if, if that was even possible in a situation like this, but suppose somebody got through that crowd with a gun that rushed the gate and they, you know, maybe it was a coordinated terrorist attack. It could, you know, let's rush the gate. We'll send the guys in with a couple of guns and then they uh, create a mass casualty event as a terrorist attack, you know? So there needed to be better security in this situation. I think the first red flag was the 2 PM incident. That was the catalyst to a disaster right there. They, they knew they had people who were, like you said, Billy, they're high energy. They're uh, hyped up to see this uh, Travis Scott. It's a concert atmosphere. I get it. Sometimes, a lot of times people are, are drinking or uh, using marijuana narcotics. So there's even more energy in the crowd. They really needed to take this a little bit more seriously. And, you know, in, in New York, I know that, um, you know, just in a, in, a, in a restaurant, you have an occupancy. There's uh, building codes within New York City that, uh, you know, uh, you can only have a certain number of people uh, on, a, on a Friday or a Saturday night. Sometimes people will go into, uh, you know, a fire inspector will go into a restaurant that looks like it's overcrowded based on complaints. And they'll say, hey, shut it down. You got, uh, you're only supposed to have 150 people in here. We did a head count of 200. You got to get 50 people out, things like that. So with these big oh, events. This was way beyond that. This was, oh, absolutely. I mean, you just saw them pouring in like a sieve. Yeah. And now you don't know who's got in. They didn't buy tickets. They're just crashing the gate and you have no control. And these are, these are potentially people that are going to cause problems in the concert because they didn't think enough to buy a ticket. So, you know, right. They were, they were already starting off on the wrong foot. They're, and they, they, they never, and they, right. As you said, they never went through a metal detector. Let me just play a little bit of this uh, news video here. Sure. Search to have a good time, not to die. This morning, grieving families are asking what went wrong here and who's accountable. This morning, multiple lawsuits against Travis Scott, Live Nation, and even rap superstar Drake filed after the Astroworld Music Festival in Houston turned deadly. Officials launching a criminal investigation into the chaotic concert that left at least eight people dead and many others hurt. 50,000 fans gathering to see rapper Travis Scott, a Houston native and Astroworld founder, perform. As he took to the stage around 9.15 p.m., the crowd, as seen in this Apple Music live stream, pushing their way forward, forcing people into the barricades. Our barricade even started to break, yeah, and the security to had to come over to us. 
and like start strapping the rails. People unable to move, some collapsing to the ground. 19-year-old Quentin Savage was trampled on while trying to pull his brother out of a human body pile. I was telling people like there are dead bodies over there and nobody believed me. Crowd chanting, stop the show. Scott still performing throughout the chaos. In this video, a seemingly unconscious man is carried through the crowd as Travis Scott looks on nearby. At one point, Scott even seemingly acknowledging an ambulance on the scene. It's an ambulance in the crowd. Whoa, whoa. He noticed some people were like passed out. But as he resumed, fans are heard pleading for help. This woman climbing the stage platform, pleading with the camera crew to stop the show and help. A security guard lost consciousness after being pricked in the neck by a substance requiring Narcan to be revived. By 9.38 p.m., police declaring the scene a mass casualty incident. Shortly after, Scott pausing his song Skeletons to acknowledge someone in distress. We need somebody to help him. Somebody pass out right here. But police and medics seem tending to fans even as the show carries on for nearly 40 more minutes. Amidst the chaos, Drake joined Scott on stage. He posted these images from the night on his Instagram. I'm honestly just devastated and I could never imagine anything like this just happening. The 30-year-old Scott addressing the tragedy to his 43 million fans on Instagram. My fans really mean the world to me and I always just really want to leave them with a positive experience. Kylie Jenner, he shares daughter Stormy with commenting, quote, I want to make it clear we weren't aware of any fatalities until the news came out after the show and in no world would have continued filming or performing. We will always celebrate you. You're in heaven, mijo. Memorials honoring the victims with flowers and grieving notes. He was talking to everyone how excited he was to be there and to go, and he was saving up money to go with his best friend Jacob, who also passed away. Among those who died, Danish Beg, 27, 16-year-old Brianna Rodriguez, Axel Acosta and Franco Patino, both 21, and 23-year-old Rudy Pena, along with Jacob Jurenic. And 23-year-old Arturo Sanchez was also in that crush of people, suffering a heart attack during the melee. A nurse who didn't want to be identified saved his life. We were there as the one strangers reunited for the first time since the tragedy. How many people did you try to help? I helped three others, but it's, it's kind of a, like a prioritization thing. You have to move on to the ones who can survive. And this is it. These are the people who survived. The Houston mayor is vowing a thorough investigation into what happened at this event. A concert goer who suffered broken ribs and multiple broken bones filed a million dollar lawsuit Sunday against Travis Scott, Live Nation and show organizers, referencing chaos at other Travis Scott concerts. It's happened before. History has repeated itself. And we hope that by filing this lawsuit and the many other lawsuits that are guaranteed to follow, that Travis Scott and other artists like him understand Concert goers want to be safe. We heard from so many people who were at this concert event and they were talking about the, the crush of people and how they literally were fighting for their lives to get out of that crowd. Robin, they said that this simply should not have happened. Marcus, thank you. You know, Phil, it's, it's uh, so emotional when you watch that to see these young people went to this concert to have a good time and eight of them at least wound up dead. And I think uh, there was many more, I think a couple of hundred, th over 300 were injured. Sure. And, and, you know, there is, look, it's easy. There is blame here. There was some real negligence here. Uh, you know, no, in no concert should 
hundreds or thousands of people be able to knock fences down and storm the location. Either you don't have enough people there or there's, you know, there's not the proper barriers to prevent them from flying in there like that. And, you know, the whole thing was continuing the concert as people are dying. That's very poor communication. Someone has to have that shutoff switch that can stop that or at least to make an announcement to stage. We're going to stop the music. We got some emergencies here. You know, people are literally they're dying at this concert. It's really uh, quite shocking to watch. Uh, and, you know, we were talking before we went on the air, you and I, about how you could only be 10 feet away from, you know, uh, uh, the crowd and you can't see what's going on in front of you or behind you. That When you're in a big crowd like that and you're shoulder to shoulder, you're, 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 you're uh, able to only know what's going on, the, the, the few people in front of you, let's say 10, 15 feet ahead of you. So if there's a crush where people are, are, are being trampled or they're being, you know, they're going into cardiac arrest. You may not even know it. That's why the central thing is the person who's performing on stage where everybody's focused on. That's the person who needed to communicate. Maybe guys in the back, but step back a little bit, push back. And, you know, all of these different venues, they have maximum occupancy capacity set forth the buildings department in the local areas, or, you know, there's a, a national fire protection association that has standards. These are the things that they look at before they do a venue and they tell them how many tickets they can sell. What's the maximum capacity. It sounds like there was no uh, rules followed here with regard to how they sold it out. And, you know, like you brought up, I'm going to bring up uh, new year's Eve in times square, the NYPD, they channel everybody into an area and they have it where there's no real choke points where they can cut off a choke point, meaning that a choke point is, is where nobody can move one way or the other. And they don't have that. The way they have it set up, because there's separations in them pens, you know, it makes it that there can be a million people in Times Square and they can get in and out safely. Like you said, once they go into those pens, if they leave, they're not allowed back in. If they if they try to come back in, they go to the end of the line. So they could start out right underneath the ball in the first pen. And if they leave, they'll wind up uh, 10 blocks away in, you know, the 25th pen or something like that. So uh, I, I think that it sounds like, yeah, there's going to be accountability for, here for some people, whether it be Travis Scott himself, the promoters of the event, who owns the venue. I mean, there has to be some kind of a standard, a safety standard set that shows how much occupancy that area can can be, you know, what's the capacity of that area safely, safely. Well, That's Phil, you know, you're 100% right, but because this is an outdoor venue, they may not have the same occupancy laws, but they're also, I mean, what is the uh, ratio of security to uh, concert goers? Like if there's 50,000 people, how many security guards do you need to have? How many police? You know, how many fire marshals do you need there? How many EMS? I don't know if they have doctors on the scene of these locations because it sounded like Narcan may have been a problem at least a couple of times. But I think it was erroneously reported by some media that someone was going around just shooting people in the neck like with uh, some kind of drug that was, you know, making them go overdose. Because someone, one of the security guards had said got uh, he needed to be revived with Narcan. But I think most of this was what we, we know as um, asphyxia due to chest compression resulting yeah. in cardiac arrest. And it's horrendous to see. As we say, this isn't something new. This has happened 
if you ever watch the European soccer games, they've had incidents where 200 people have been crushed to death when, you know, different uh, groups just push forward and they're stuck up against the walls. I mentioned the Who concert back in 1979, the CCNY tragedy in 1991 in New York City. Uh, these are, you, you know, we have to learn lessons from this. You know, I wanted to mention one, and I'm going to really show my age here, but the Rolling Stones at Altamont Speedway, and I believe this was either the late 60s or early 70s, they made the most ridiculous move of hiring the Hells Angels as security. Like what, what genius made that decision? They hired the Hells Angels to work security at the concert. And it turned out someone, uh, one guy got knifed, another guy got shot. One guy was killed right in front of the stage. And, you know, that was the Hells Angels running the security there. Oh, what, what could possibly go wrong with this? You know, really, it was the sixties, you know, everybody was in a haze in the sixties and all the, you know, all the drugs going around and, uh, you know, but- any, anyone in the chat that remembers that put a one in the chat. I want to see if there's anyone as old as Phil and I here that remembers that. <laughs> I, I was born in 60 and I vaguely remember things like that, but, uh, I do know about the hell's angels for sure. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, listen, Billy, there's, there's quite a few events. I wrote down, one, two, three, four, five, five different events that you talked about mass casualties. There was the P Diddy. There was, there was an event where uh, there was a large crowd of the soccer uh, fan, soccer fans in Nepal. It started to rain and they tried to run towards closed exits and several people were killed in that one. In Saudi Arabia in 2015, 2,400 people dead on a Hajj pilgrimage where people, again, they just rushed in. And when there's no, when there's a choke point where they're all trying to get to one space, but there's no way, way for them to, to go left or right or backwards. And they wind up, uh, what you talked about, the chest compressions. And, you know, th- there's, a, there's a real easy way for average people to understand about chest compressions. If you take a tailless tape measure, and just put it around your chest and put it tight for a second and, you know, around under your arms and around you and just hold it tight for a second and then try to take a deep breath and your chest expands. You'll see how that thing is not going to stay in place. You're going to, you're going to, you could even do it with a piece of string, let's say. So what's happening is now you're, you're outside, you're excited. You don't realize your breathing is your chest is going in and out. Now you get crushed and you're not able to expand your lungs to take in oxygen. And what happens is in a minute or two, you're unconscious and now you're, you're, you know, you're still being crushed. And then the oxygen to your brain is diminished and the blood flow. And, you know, shortly after uh, you go into cardiac arrest and if you're not revived within two minutes, uh, serious, serious complications will set in like brain damage. You know, uh, Phil, and we know this as cops because especially myself as a boss, when I would go to the scene of an arrest and I saw an officer have a guy cuffed and he still had his knee in the guy's back, I would tell the cop, get your knee off his back. Right. And sometimes they'd look at me like, oh, Sarge, you got to like boss me around. Yeah, I do. Because if you keep your knee in his back and all your body weight on him, he's going to die. So take your knee off his back so he can breathe. He's cuffed. He's not going to hurt you, you know. But that's a real problem. And that's why... You know, with police departments, they, you know, that like that law, the diaphragm law was over some things like that, where people have died through something called restraint asphyxia. And yeah. uh, that's what this really is. It's restraint asphyxia, but uh, it's worse because they're being pushed up against an immovable object. And there's there's no chance for their chest to move back and forth so they can breathe. You know, Bill, you brought up... Uh, uh 
you know, making an arrest and putting handcuffs on someone. Now, you know, I've had hundreds of times, maybe even thousands where I was present during arrest situations, handcuffs and all that. And sometimes you got somebody who's flailing on, but once the handcuffs are on, you really just have to worry about their legs. And there's really no need to sit on a person's chest. As you said, you can manipulate them in a way where they're still able to breathe, maybe, maybe turn them on their side. And then we would have leg restraints usually available by patrol or emergency service. And you can strap their legs together and then they really become, and then they even have, uh, even have that jacket that, uh, ESU carries or so, a certain, uh, you know, uh, yeah, it's like a straight jacket. Yeah. Where you're able to breathe, you can, your chest can ex expand and contract. However, your legs aren't free to flail and injure somebody as well as your hands. So, I mean, that, that we're learning from those things. And obviously, you know, when you're in a, uh, you know, you can lose your, you lose track of things. You're fighting for your life. You get somebody handcuffed and they're, you know, so now you lean on them and someone like you, like you said, you were a boss, you came on and said, guys, you know, pull up, you know, maybe God forbid you could, uh, you could send this guy into cardiac arrest and maybe you pull them, you know, they get to, uh, back down to, uh, you know, to reality for a second, because in the heat of things, you can, you know, you lose your, uh, you lose your focus. And, uh, now you're just glad that uh, you got this guy handcuffed and, uh, you know, you're happy that you're able to take control of the situation. So, but 100%, uh, you know, folks, if uh, you like police off the cuff from, uh, you know, real crime stories from a police perspective, please uh, go to our YouTube channel, hit the subscribe button, ring that bell, give us a thumbs up. Uh, if you, we have some channel members, we have uh, five different levels, uh, $2.99 a month. You're the bucket $6.99 a month. You can, uh, I'm forgetting what it is. Coffee, uh, coffee with Canon, uh, $9.99 a month. You can polish my rack. $24.99 a month. You're dipped in butter. And the premier $49.99 a month heated dipped in butter. So if you guys want to join our club, be part of the police off the cuff family, but please at least uh hit the subscribe button. You know, we're trying to give us this perspective. This is a really important uh, story because we all have family. We all have kids. We all have, some of us have grandkids, you know, and people go to concerts, large venues, and it's actually probably a good thing to be educated of what to look for. Where are the exits? How do I get the hell out of here? Where, you know, exactly. that's one of the most important things to know is to, to know where the hell the exits are, because you see this concert. I mean, I want to play just a little more of a, a short clip here. And it's just, it's just so scary watching this stuff said investigators are now trying to talk to as many people as they can to piece together exactly what happened. Uh, we are talking with those with individuals who have been hospitalized to try to get a full, a much better understanding of what took place, what went wrong, where were the missteps. The mayor also stressed how much worse this could have been if it wasn't for Good Samaritans stepping in to help some of the folks who got hurt or who had passed out. Roughly 50,000 people showed up for this two-day music festival put on by Travis Scott. And when he took the stage last night, a little after nine, the crowd started surging forward to the stage, packing people in so tight that witnesses said it was hard to breathe. Some people started passing out and the crowd was packed in so tight they couldn't get out. Some people got trampled, others crowd surfed lifeless bodies to try and get those folks help. And I witnessed somebody unconscious struggling to get out, like their friends were trying to get him out and just people weren't caring enough to like make a path. I'm sitting here, we're sitting here saying, oh, I had the time of my life. 
But it's scary to think that was the last time some of these people ever even had a life. Today, Travis Scott, a Houston native, released a statement saying, in part, I'm absolutely devastated by what took place last night. My prayers go out to the families and all those impacted by what happened at Astroworld Festival. I am committed to working together with the Houston community to heal and support the families in need. Texas Governor Greg Abbott also weighed in saying, what happened at Astroworld Festival last night was tragic and our hearts are with those who lost their lives and and those who were injured in the terrifying crowd surge. The event's organizers have also released a statement saying they are cooperating with this investigation. Police just told us a short time ago that all the footage of that event will be turned over later this evening for investigators to start reviewing. You know, one of the things that happened in, in 1991 where nine people lost their lives at CCNY was there was a huge investigation, of, of course, uh, in regards to what went wrong there. And one of the things that went wrong was that the uh, it was oversold. So there was some greed there. They oversold the show, and the people that bought tickets, they weren't letting them in. So they started pushing. And that, you know, I'm oversimplifying it, but that was one of the biggest things. And actually, P. Diddy, or whatever he was called, he's had 10 different names since uh, 1991, Puff Daddy. Double P Diddy. I don't know. He, I don't know what he goes by now. He actually got personally sued and he, he settled with some of the families because there was nine people that lost their lives and he, he personally got sued. So this could happen here too. And I don't know what Travis Scott's role was. Did he, besides performing, was he the promoter? Did he run everything? Some promoters, uh, some performers do that now. So, Again, they, maybe they were cutting corners. Maybe they didn't have enough security. You know, so uh, these are some of the questions that the investigation surely uh, needs to answer. Well, I think there was definitely a communications breakdown. Now, I'm going to take him at his word when he said uh, he said publicly on Twitter there was a press release, and uh, he obviously is is taking the position that he had no idea that any of this was going on. So, someone had the responsibility to get a hold of him through some type of communication and let him know what was going on. Stop the show for a second. Announce, uh, guys, please, we're having a little bit of a situation without causing a panic because you got 50,000 people in that area. If you say the wrong thing, you could have a stampede. And, uh, you know, uh, make way for ambulances. We're going to stop the show for 10 or 15 minutes. Everybody chill out, relax, move back a little bit. Or, or coordinate with, with with him. He he really was central and key to uh, averting a disaster. And, and Apparently, uh, they never stopped the show until uh, it was it was over. To ne never really ended, and uh, they carried on. They they brought in uh, that other guy uh, that uh, they they mentioned he might be getting sued too. Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, the, the other guy he was there. Uh, Dr Drake. 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 Yes, Drake. Yeah. My, my kids will kill me that I didn't know his name. I forgot his name. But, <laughs> but when you know Drake was there, my point is is that they were carrying on like business as usual. Now I know during. Uh, big events. There are different things. Somebody could faint or pass out. And it's usually a, a minor medical thing, but somebody needed to get a hold of him. Whoever was in charge of security needed to say, like you said, there has to be uh, a, a system in place to pull the plug, pull the plug, meaning, all right, it's over. Stop it. You know, get a hold of him, get him on the side, say, listen, you got people being crushed in the crowd. Announce that we're going to postpone the concert for a few minutes, have everybody try to move back. And, you know, alleviate the problem and let the emergency personnel through. That may have saved lives. Uh, th that's what I see here. And, again, we have that seven-hour lag between 2 o'clock in the afternoon when they started rushing until 9 o'clock at night when this thing started. 
What went on then? Did they reassess what they had? Did they realize they had too many people? Now, I also found uh, from the article you sent me, Billy, that there's been concerts canceled because of uh, large crowds with some big names, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Eminem, uh, Oasis. Uh, you know, so it's not like this has never happened before where they see that the crowd is too big. Uh, there's just too much going on and they pull the plug on and they cancel it. Uh, concerts are canceled for a lot of different reasons. You know, a singer or a performer can, can come up with laryngitis or, you know, an illness, the flu, whatever. So, I mean, in a situation like this, uh, if it was assessed properly, they may have actually called it off when they saw that people were rushing in. You can't have a safe venue when you have people running through barriers, now you don't have an idea of how many people are even in this venue because so many uh, crashed the gates, you know? You know, it seemed like the uh, the earlier video we showed, uh, at least it seemed to me like it was thousands of people crashed the gate. So that's, that's potentially really, that's a huge security problem, of course, because these are people that didn't pay for their ticket. They're people that don't respect the law. They knocked down the fences. I just want to mention, I, I kept this picture up on the screen, and you can see to the left there's a huge tent. That is usually where the sound system is, and the sound people can usually coordinate with the folks on the stage who they have to be able to speak to. That's where they, it should have been coordinated somehow through walkie-talkie or whatever. We got a real problem in here, and let's let's shut it down. You're making a great point, Billy, because they, if you look at where Travis is, he's on the right of the screen there. And so they were back. They probably had a better uh, view of what was going on in the crowd. And from that, you know, that's like the command center of the whole show. They, they're controlling sound, lighting, all of that. They easily could have communicated to someone on that stage. Listen, we have an issue. We need to stop the show momentarily. We got to get some EMS personnel through. There's people that are uh, passing out now. One of the other points that I want to make, uh, they talked about Narcan being uh, used on several patients. Now, initially, when people were unconscious, they thought they were drug overdoses. That may be why they uh, they uh, used the Narcan. To, you know, obviously, it's used to, to save a person who's overdosing, save their life, and bring them out of it. And when they realized, you know, this person's not breathing, they did the Narcan. When that didn't work, then they must have, you know, gone on to realize that it was a crushing incident. And then when you see the people being pulled over the security barriers, I think it was quite obvious of what was going on, what was taking place. And uh, that was you a know, great point about that tent, Billy. Yeah, you know, Phil, it's it's like, as we said earlier on, uh, this is not unprecedented. This has happened before. Yes. And I mean, remember they had those concerts on Randall's Island in New York City? They had a huge drug problem there. Uh, and I don't know exactly... I'm not so up on the drugs now since I've been out of the police department. It may have been ecstasy. People were passing out and yeah. uh, you know, people were dying actually on yeah. Randall's Island during this concert. And what happened was the promoters were real smart asses. They hired their own ambulances and it wasn't New York city EMS. Cause if you call EMS in New York city accompanied with the ambulance comes the police. Right. So these promoters had their own ambulances, so the police were never notified that people were being taken away to hospitals, and several of them, I don't have the count right now, died. Yes. So when you see that, like, sometimes unscrupulous promoters, and look, they're not immune from the profit motive either, where they'll ignore safety for the money, because that happens. We see, we saw that happen on the, uh, the film set Rust. I'm sure it happens in the... Uh, it, it, you know, in the concert world too. 
I would really like to know what was the ratio between 50,000 people and how many security guards and what is the rule of thumb? If you have 50,000 people, how many security guards do you need there? Yeah, good point, Billy. And that uh, that concert that you're uh, referencing where they were ingesting ecstasy, and when you ingest ecstasy, uh, it makes you uh, very dehydrated. So they were uh, the sun was out, it was warm, it was a hot day, and they knew that there was going to be casualties of people passing out from dehydration. So they got their own ambulances, like you said, because they didn't want any police interaction because it was clear that it was probably people that are, you know, ingesting drugs. So, uh, yeah, they played that, uh, it's capitalist society we live in. So they were playing that angle, you know, not to, uh, screw up their, uh, their payday. hundred percent British chippy. First of all, I love the name. Love uh, it. <laughs> Secondly, here's your comments. For me, it's basic human decency. You see artists addressing the crowd with even one fainter in the crowd. They push for respect. This bloke was on a platform looking down. Sorry, he knew it was bad. Well, Possible. Thank you, British Chippy. Great, great comment. Yeah, uh, let's, let me see some of the other folks in the chat. Scout Inquirer. This was such a horrific tragedy. Prayers for the victims and their family and all EMS. 100% Scout Inquirer. Thank you so much for your comments. Uh, T. Michelle Smith, she's a member of the Police Off the Cuff family. It's really sad that people can act, cannot act healthy. It's tragic that the performer did not prepare uh, safely. Did not perform, but should have been safely. But uh, factual breakdown, what do you got there? Uh, oh, no, uh, that's a personal comment to someone else in the chat. I'll, um, Peter Pranzo. Perfectly said, Bill, it only takes a handful of disorderly people can cause a stampede. Lieutenant Pete, you know that, right? And we keep referencing uh, Times Square. And you remember back in the day, Lieutenant Pete, that Times Square during New Year's Eve was just, they used to call it Robbery Central. And it was just like a robbery festival. And uh, people didn't understand that came to the city from all over the world that don't go to Times Square on New Year's Eve. They tried to act like, oh, it's a beautiful place to go. But we as anti-crime knew it was robbery central and street crime also, right? I mean, that every member of street crime worked New Year's Eve, no matter what, unless he was in a cast or in the hospital. You worked Times Square on New Year's Eve. So we knew what to expect. But having said that, the NYPD um, has it down pretty well. And I'm not comparing – you really can't compare, I guess, New Year's Eve to a concert. It's a whole different ball game, But – some of the same security tenets are used in, uh, in uh, both events, I think. I, I think they should learn from uh, New Year's Eve because, again, you, you referenced over a million people go to Times Square. And, you know, they just, like I said earlier, they just cut it off from all, you know, you can't travel freely through that area from the morning of uh, New Year's Eve. You know, you, you have the pen set up and there's roadblocks for the traffic and stuff. And then once they start filling those pens, you can only access the sidewalks to get to, uh, and, and there's checkpoints all along the way. I mean, if you're going to go in and say, I live here, they'll ask you for identification, you know? So it's pretty stringent. Obviously it's a, it's a high target, high value target for a terrorist attack. So it's been, been very, very, uh, secure for years and it, it remains that way. But, uh, in these large events, they could probably learn a little something. I mean, we've referenced a half a dozen events that we know about where people have died. I mean, the, the, uh, 
the thing in Saudi Arabia, 2,400 people died. You know, the, the other events, 100 people, 11 people, uh, you know, it's still a lot of people dying and, and they really need to brush up on this and, and get with the program, figure out a way to do it safely. And if you got to cut it off, you know, at half the uh, amount of people, I mean, less money is going to be made, but there's not going to be any casualties. This is not war. This is a concert. You're supposed to go there and come home in one piece. 100%. Jeffrey Colbert at Texas Lassie. I didn't mean to imply an ignorance merely that as a regular concert and rave goer, a former drug dealer, I'm glad you admitted to that, and a person in attendance at this event that drugs always make their way in. Jeffrey Colbert, you're 100% correct. There's no concert that's going to be drug-free. And I think it's somewhat... Um, you know, I don't think the security or is looking to enforce drug laws at a concert, but, you know, people act differently when they're on drugs also. So uh, I just think, yeah, that is part of, I guess, the experience going back to uh, the 1960s, you know. Really, I was and, uh, at a uh, at an Engelbert Humperdinck concert a few weeks back in Atlantic City, and I don't well, think- Well, I sing you to sleep <laughs> after the loving- that's my song wedding song I just wrote yesterday. <laughs> that's that's my wedding song. My wife and my mother-in-law love him. So we went to see him. And I doubt there was many drugs at that concert. Maybe some Jared <laughs> and things like that. But no illegal drugs, I would venture to say. And I don't think way, so. He's in his 80s. He put on a fantastic show. I, I can't believe he had a lot of movement yet. He sang great. It was actually a great show. I almost wasn't even going to go. I was trying to get my sister-in-law to sit in for me because I was saying, ah, well, you know, can't be a good show. He's in his 80s. I wound up going. It was fantastic. So, and I know no one was no one was crashing the gate at the Engelbert Humperdinck <laughs> no, concert. No. They didn't have the energy. They have to knock it, it with, their, with, with their walkers. You yeah, know? it's hard to get a walker through when you're trying to crash the crowd. And I know my song isn't playing anything new. Cause oh my, my wife can hear this I'm now. She's going nuts. With you. <laughs> Engelbert Humperdinck. You should have changed his name, though, I think. you know. I, I, that's not his real name. That's that's, oh, that's his stage name, believe it or not. I forget what his <laughs> real name is. I got to look it up after we go off. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but it was actually a good show. Obviously, very safe. I was just trying to uh, you know, have a little uh, laugh about the, the Geritol in there. But uh, obviously, you know, those venues are much smaller. They're a lot more coordinated, a lot more security. It was in a hotel in Atlantic City and, uh, you know, big hotel with a casino, Harry's. And uh, anyway, so, yeah, with these type of things, they, they may have to, you know, cut them back on sizes, how many tickets they sell. And if crowds show up, you have to have it controlled where there's no way in. If you push through, you're not going to do it. It has to be enough uh, of a police presence, a security presence, presence barriers, whatever you got to do. I mean, uh, there's there's ways that you can rope off an area ahead of time, secure it, and have it where there's only you know uh, people in charge that can you know access the exits to let people out if there's an emergency, and only one way in or several ways in, but they're all manned by security. And you know, again, we don't want weapons going into these things. You know, when when you saw them crashing those metal detectors. You know, that right there, that was the, the first red flag for me that uh, something not good was going to happen. Yeah, to me, uh, that that was very scary. You know, folks, again, if you're not, I see some new names in the chat. Uh, if you're not um, subscribed, please subscribe to Police Off the Cuff. Go to our YouTube, hit the subscribe button, give us a thumbs up. Uh, Linda Sheldon, this is the first time I've seen you here. We are becoming a society that is idolizing the wrong people and things. The bigger the sacrifice, the better their future, sending negative vibes 
in in their thing, in my opinion. But we have a good opinion, Linda Sheldon. Uh, it's uh, you know, it's it's scary these things. I, I you know, when my kids tell me they're going to a concert, I always get a little crazy. And I, myself, I'm not a. I don't like being in crowds. I just don't like it. Maybe it's from my police experience, and I never liked being you know in that you know claustrophobic feeling of uh of being inside a crowd i just never liked it and uh absolutely i agree with you, you know and that's probably why i don't really love going to concerts my wife's always like oh you want to come with us to the car i'm like nah i think i'll i think i'll pass you know so you know wife- Billy, from, from our experiences law enforcement officers i noticed something the other day i went to visit relatives a cousin of mine has a beautiful apartment in a 40-story building down in Dumbo, Brooklyn, right near the Brooklyn Bridge, Manhattan Bridge area. And uh, I noticed when we went and, you know, we went up to the apartment on the 31st floor, I believe, down low, near about six inches from the floor, they had a stencil of the apartment number. Now, the reason for that is this. In a fire, God forbid, there's smoke that comes down and you'll have to crawl on the floor and, you know, you'll – be able to see, all right, this is an apartment. If you're trying to make it to an exit and then obviously the exits are marked as well. So these are the things that, you know, fire safety comes up with, uh, fire protection association. I referenced them earlier. You know, you go to a hotel, this is really off of what we're talking about specifically, but maybe it's helpful to someone. You check into a hotel. I always tell my daughter was in a hotel about a week or two ago. I said, make sure you go in the hallway, know where the fire exit is, the staircase is. And if you have to get out of there in the smoke, you can count three doors over, four doors over, five doors across, whatever it is. And if in a fire you're panicking, there's there's very little room for error. You can make it to that exit and possibly get out with your life. And things like this, uh, you know, sometimes you have to do the thinking for the people in a large crowd like this. And uh, they may have set it up uh, in a way that it just led to this horrible disaster. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a horrible thing. You know, I almost feel like we could – keep talking about this but you know we got we have another show at seven o'clock tonight yes and we're going to talk about brian laundry and gabby petito at seven so we sort of uh have to exit stage left and uh you know phil you always come up with some amazing things and that's why i love you as my co-host you know i can just toss it to you and i don't have to worry that you're going to give me a one-word answer (laughs) (laughs) i try uh, you know it is it's 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 interesting to me I want to be connected to what's going on currently and uh you know I guess it's just like uh it's like a mini investigation so to speak you know so it's second nature to me to get into something and dissect it a little bit and I'm sure the same thing with you Bill Patty L so glad I caught you live no don't go well, we're going to be live again at 7 just a That's different right. topic we were a little reluctant to take on this topic just because it's you know it's very controversial and you know it's it's in the beginning stages of the investigation, but I you know I said let let's jump in on it, and uh, we're not going to get too judgmental. Obviously, there was a lot of mistakes made in this case. Eight people wouldn't be dead, and and no one would be uh, doing a huge investigation on this. Phil, final words. Final words. I just hope that uh, there could be some uh, changes in security protocols going forward. Let's learn from these other incidents as well as this incident. Uh, you know, um, condolences to the families of people that lost lost loved ones. I only hope and pray that they can find some uh, comfort in maybe going forward that we're not going to allow this to happen again. And um, I guess that's it for now. And uh, we'll see you at seven o'clock. We're going to go over the uh, latest on the Gabby Petito uh, 
investigation, Brian Laundry investigation. So we're going to catch up on uh, some of the latest facts on that. Bill, you were out there. Uh, what was it yesterday? Yeah, I was. There? I was in the Mayakahatchee um, Creek Reserve yesterday. Right. And I'm going to talk about that at seven o'clock. I don't want to give it all away now. No, no, you know, no. I want to. I want you guys to come, and I'm going to talk about my experience there. Yes. Yes. But anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh, on behalf of myself, Bill Cannon, and my co-host, Phil Grimaldi, thank you so much. And we'll hopefully we'll see you at 7 o'clock. Have see a great you at night. 7, guys. Stay safe. One episode, just ain't enough.